Well, a few minutes ago, a great man, our communications director, Mitch Moyer, predicted that we will be able to do this without rain today. You know what the problem is? Every prediction has to be judged. So we'll see whether he's right or wrong. In 1902, somebody said, the horse and buggy are here to stay. We don't need automobiles. None of you were around for that. In 1920, someone said a rocket will never leave the earth. Well, they were wrong about that. We even went to the moon and look where we are today. In 1962, there was a group who said, we do not think the guitar is going to last. We're not going to sign that group named the Beatles. 1977, nobody is going to want a computer in their home. 1995, by 96, the internet will explode. All of the predictions were wrong, every one of them. See, the problem with a prediction is if you know it's going to come to pass, then you're going to pursue life in a different way. If you know it's going to be a bad ending, you're going to try to avoid that. And the blessing that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ is our futures have already been predicted. We already know the end, which is a new beginning. It's a change of everything. We know that. And so we approach this life with that understanding when we are followers of Christ. Let me unwrap this a little bit for you. Jesus gathers the disciples together. They've been doing things for almost three years. And during that period of time, they've seen him perform miracles. Uh, they've heard the, the statements that he's made. They've observed his prayer time with his father. And so they know him real well. At least they think they do. And it's at that point that Jesus gathering them together before that famous time when he appears to them on top of the mountain as God, before that, just a, a few hours before that, he says to them, who do men say that I am? And they give the responses that are floating throughout the communities in which Jesus has been working. Well, some say that you're uh, a man. Uh, some say you're a prophet. Some say that you are John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then Jesus turns and he asks them the question, that everyone here, everyone who's ever lived, will have to answer. He said, who do you say that I am? So who do you say that he is? You know, in, in your heart, what is your response to that question? See, I knew of him, but I didn't know him. There's a difference. Now, Peter, the one who always seems to be out in front of everybody else among the disciples, is the one who answers the question. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 16 in two verses, 16 and 17. Just before that, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for well, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, 
but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Three statements that Christ makes there in response to Peter's statement. And Peter's statement is very emphatic. In the original language, he actually says, you, you are the Christ, the Son of the living, the God. Wow, that's powerful. And Jesus responds saying three things. I'm going to help you understand, Peter, that what you know didn't come from your knowledge, from your wisdom, from your father, from your friends. What you know about me was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. That's the first thought. The second thought, he says, and I will build my church. He's going to build it upon that revelation. And then thirdly, nothing can stop the movement of the church that I build on that revelation. So let's look at those for just a minute. When I thought I knew who he was, it was prior to my understanding who I was. When you come into a knowledge of yourself and you recognize your sinful nature, you recognize your need for help, your need for deliverance, when that happens in you, then you ask the question, where do I turn? To whom shall I go? You know, who has the wisdom that I need, the power to do the things that need to be done in my life? Who is that? And Jesus enters. And when he enters, everything changes. He comes into the room and he receives us right where we are. He loves us just as we are. And then he begins to form us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He has revealed him. And there's some statements about this revelation that is to us individually that we need to understand. He saved us individually, but the purpose is corporate. He saved us for his own use because he has gifted each one of you He's gifted me. He's gifted everyone whom he has saved to have a purpose in his church, to advance his kingdom, to elevate the gospel. So though we were saved individually and we benefit greatly and eternally through that salvation, we were also saved so that you and I would work together to benefit the kingdom of God. That's our purpose for being here. So let's talk about that kingdom of God. Let's talk about the church. In verse 18, he says, I will build my church. There's no need for me to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. Men don't build churches. Women don't build churches. We build buildings. We refurbish buildings. And we redesign buildings. We retrofit buildings. But we do not build churches. Only God builds a church. And he builds that church when he saves the individual. Because that individual now is living by faith. And that faith is the foundation upon which his church is built. And you are the church. So you are a people of faith. A people filled with faith. 
ready to do what God wants to do. But so have all the other people been people of faith through all the centuries whom Christ has saved. And the church has advanced. But admit this, the church has also changed. Because every generation, God positions his church in a way that benefits the culture in which it lives. And the culture is constantly changing. So it's necessary for us to hold on to the unchanging message of that salvific gospel, that gospel that saves you, while adapting to the changes that God brings so that we can reach the culture that he wants to change. That's the purpose of the church. He uses the materials that he has been given. And those materials change. I have a home that uh, the Lord allowed us to build 35 years ago. Probably a few months ago, I went to find a part for a toilet. I'm sorry, they don't make that part anymore. What do you mean? It's just a little cup thing. What do you mean they don't make that part anymore? Well, because they don't even sell that model anymore. You know, so now it's not a part I need. It's a whole toilet. It doesn't make sense to me. So I found somebody that had a toilet similar to mine. They were throwing away and I got the part. <laughs> but things change, don't they? And, and change is difficult. But God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm so thankful for an unchanging God, one who already has his mind made up, one who has predicted the future that we know will come to pass because everything God has ever said will come to pass. The word will never fail. So with this unchanging God helping us in the midst of a changing culture, we need to adapt ourselves to the position in which he has played, placed us. The churches that don't run into problems. Many churches have made big mistakes in their lives. The church of my youth, a little Presbyterian church in a North Georgia town, I was taught that it was a refuge from the world, that we were to have nothing to do with those people, those people who were bad people who had terrible problems in their lives and they did terrible things. And just stay away from them and just sequester yourself inside the church. I was taught the church was to be separate from the society, have nothing to do with the society at all. And that's exactly what that little church did. And over time, that church died because it was not willing to change through the leadership of the Holy Spirit to what God was calling it to be. Well, that's not us at Community Church. We're following the lead of the Spirit. When God gives you a church and says, here's a building, I want to put a church in it. You know, here's a J.C. Penney building, I want to put a church in it. Here's the Mount Pleasant campus. I want to put a church in it. What do you do? You put a church in it. And you model it the way that God has called you to do it. So there's some statements that I want to make 
They'll be on the screens, and I want you to capture these because these are descriptors of who God is calling us to be. It's very important for us to know the journey upon which we are about to embark. First, he is positioning community church as part of his army. You realize that we are in a battle, a battle for truth. And that battle is never ending. It's not going to stop. You're going to wage that war until you go home to Christ. And then the war will continue until Christ returns. So we are in a war. We are an army. And that army must be militant. It must be aggressive in its approach to changing the society around it. We're all about loving the people. Loving the least of these. That's the position God has put us in because he wants us to be victors. I recently read a story of a young man in high school. and His history teacher was talking about the period of history when Athens and Sparta were having difficulties with each other. And he asked his students, among you, who would choose which city to live in? And most of the students said Athens because at that time, Athens was a great city. It had all the amenities you could possibly want. If you're a high school student, you know, you want to live in Athens. And this one young boy said, Sparta. And the teacher was perplexed. He said, why would you want to live in Sparta? He said, because they won. <laughs> That's knowing the future <laughs> in retrospect. And making the right choice. He wanted to be in the right place at the right time. God has positioned community church in the right place at the right time. So we have an incredible responsibility. We are a movement, not an institution. The church of Jesus Christ is on the move. It's not a stable thing. It doesn't just sit here and exist. But the institution of the church over the last four or five decades has been dying. A study from a group called the Center for Analytics, Research, and Data did a 10-year study from 2010 to 2020 and found that between 75 and 150 churches a week were shutting their doors. They were shutting their doors. They had not made the changes necessary in their particular environment to affect the gospel in the community anymore. I've consulted with churches for years. I've known of churches that shut down because they argued over the color of the carpet. Churches that decided to divide in half because some wanted plastic spoons and some regular silverware. I knew of one church that debated over where the podium that the pastor would use would be on the stage, and half of them left because they didn't like where it was. I mean, that is human nature, resistant to change. Changes that are basically meaningless to the effect of the gospel in a person's life. What a waste of time. But God is taking some of those, and he's turning them around. 
I know of a church in the Detroit area that just received a phone call, a group of people, a church with 20 people was shutting its doors. They say, we just want to give you the building. And they received it. And they are a powerful gospel-centered church. God gave us what we have here because we are a gospel-centered church. But we need to be ready to make the changes that are necessary. No matter how much we come across change, we have to understand that we are a refuge for the world, not from it. That's why no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, how you dress, what problems you have, you are welcome at Community Church, at any of the three campuses. Because that's who God is seeking. He's seeking the downtrodden. He's seeking the hurting. He's seeking the orphan and the widow. He's seeking those who are hurting, that are, are looking for safety and security and meaning in life. And that's what his church offers when it is truly the church of Jesus Christ. We used to hide from the world so that we could be protected from the world. And we became a closed society as the church. There used to be a saying going around, us four, no more, close the door. Because we were comfortable with one another. We didn't want change to come. But we're a place for the broken and the sick and the misplaced. We're a place that be, can be the beginning of the change of institutions, of governments, and of cultures. That's the power God has given this particular church. We're a people of transition and transformation. We are constantly transitioning, looking ahead, looking to the future. Now, some of the ideas that we have implemented over the years are still valid. They're still strong. They're still good. When you make change, you're not saying that that which we did in the past was bad. You're saying it's changed. I remember when one of our daughters was born and my sweet, loving mother-in-law got us a diaper service. And my wife said, I don't want a diaper service. She said, well, what will you do? You know, we'll use pampers. And her mother was just devastated. Do you mean all the years that I used diaper service for you were wrong? You know, no, mom. <laughs> it's just things have changed. We don't have to stack up dirty diapers anymore and have somebody pick them up. We can use these the way we want to use them. Now, you can use either that you want. I'm not making a statement to that. But you see, people, when change comes, they immediately want to say, well, my past is being judged. No, it's not. There are foundations that were laid in the early years of this church, in the early 80s, that we are building upon because of how faithful God has been to the people who have led this church through all these years. But we have to make some changes. No matter how much we love them and supported them, we have to keep changing as God leads us. Not changing for the sake of change. We need to be where God wants us to be. You know the name Wayne Gretzky, 
the famous uh, hockey player who played 20 years at four different teams. He was asked, you know, it seems like you have a, an intuition about hockey. What is it that you do? It was very simple. He said, I skate to where the puck will be, not where it was. Think about that for a minute. He was forecasting where he knew they were going next and he'd be there when the puck met him. Jesus has said that you and I are the church founded on faith and we are moving ahead to capture this society. We know where we're going. We know what the end will be. We should be excited about that. We should believe it. And by believing it, we live it out. We should give as much attention to the life of the body of the church as we do to the body of the family and the body of work and the other things that we're doing in life. We have to be very intentional about what we are doing. So let me review these four statements. We are his army. We are a movement, not an institution. We are a refuge for the world, not from it. And we are a people of transition and transformation. All of that said, we now need to have two codes of ethic for ourselves, how we are going to live this out. And the first is this. We have to focus on the future, and doing that, we need to let go of the past. Still holding on to the foundations, but let go of the past. There are things that I might prefer that I'm not going to see anymore. And yet I know that God is leading, so I'm going to follow. Because it's not about me. It's about reaching the loss for Christ. It's about doing this together on purpose and, and leading them into a focused life with him. That's our whole purpose. That's our mission. So to do that, I have to be willing to change. Churches die when they refuse to change. We will build great things from the past, but we are a people challenged to change constantly. There's a challenge that, that comes to us on a daily basis as things are changing around us. Let me illustrate this. There was a company in 1971, a very small company, subsidiary of a larger one, and the owner of that company, Mr. Knight, decided that he wanted to become independent. He wanted to do his own thing, and he knew, I need some brand recognition. You're familiar with the term branding that everybody out there knows. In the South, when you order a Coke, they ask you what kind because Coca-Cola is the generic for all soft drinks in the South. And though I drink very few of them anymore, it's the best one. So I endorse that. So this man knew of a woman who was a graphic designer, but this is 1971, and no computers around. She does all this by hand. And he said, uh, I want something unique, something that can be placed on my product, something that will... But we'll show people this is who I am. So she drew some things up. She presented him one. He said, I don't know. 
Well, after he consulted with two other of his partners, they ultimately decided, okay, we'll go with this and see what happens. And they paid her $35 in 1971. That's a big price. In 1983, they invited her to a party that was for her. And they presented her with a diamond ring that had on it the logo that she had designed in gold. And they also gave her a stock certificate for Nike that she still lives off of today. Now, our team is not getting anything gold and they're not getting any stock certificates in the kingdom of God. But it's time for us, and you'll hear a little more a little later, it's time for us to have an identifying mark with us that lets everybody know we are community church as we go into these other cultures, as we go into St. John's, we go into Alma, and we're here, and who knows where else God may send us. So the team and some consultants spent a long time, a lot of prayer, and we came to this new design that gives us our two C's, community church. Look at this with me on the side. Great round of applause. <laughs> but it's a change. So those of you, like me, who have lived with our other logo for so many years, you know, today, we bury that logo, and we have its funeral, and we're glad that it was good, and it worked, but now this is the new one. So when you see this, that's what that means. It means community church. If we are to focus on the future, not only do we need to let go of the past, but we need to trust God with the present. And that's what I mean when I say using Paul's statement from 1 Thessalonians 1.3, that you are called to a work of faith, you're called to a labor of love, and a patience of hope. Let me read it from the scripture. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor produced or promoted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God's looking for from you and from me. A work of faith. Because we love him and we love one another, and we will endure because of that promised future that we have. We've just climbed a mountain, and God showed us the way. We have those two additional facilities now to be changed into houses of worship, destinations of discipleship. We're excited about that. But we've not yet arrived. We've achieved one goal that God put before us, he has helped us advance his kingdom. Now it's time for the next mountain. And that's where that third statement of Christ is so important. Tear down the gates. Hell cannot prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. The church must be understood as a catalyst for change, and every process related to it must be interpreted through that filter. We're not going to become like the world. We're going to change the world to be like Christ. 
That's the goal God has for us. The last two years have brought about more changes than we've seen in many years because of the pandemic. But the church continued, and we're here today, as powerful or more powerful than ever. And we know the future. We're pursuing that future together on purpose. We are a positioned community. God has positioned us for a time such as this. There is a well-known speaker by the name of Tony Williams, and Tony was invited to speak at Zig Ziglar's organization to his staff in Dallas, Texas. And he got in his car, and he was on his way, and he got onto the interstate in Dallas, and there must have been an accident or something because he was stopped without being able to move. He knew, I'm not going to make it to this conference. So he called him on his phone and said, I'm so sorry, I'm not able to get there. They said, it's okay, we'll schedule you for another time. And he sat there in his car, wondering, God, I don't understand. And suddenly the woman in the car in front of him jumped out of her car. She opened the back door. She took out a baby. The baby was convulsing. Tony said, I knew I had to do something. And as I get out of the car, I'm praying, God, I don't know what to do. Send somebody to help me. A nurse shows up next to him. And says, I'm a nurse. Let me show you what to do. Take care of this child while I go get 911. Everything turned out fine. Tony got home. He said, I went into my office and I looked at my calendar. And he said, my calendar said corporate event. He said, I just laughed because he said, I know heaven's calendar said rescue a child. He said, I thought I was stuck in traffic. I was positioned by God. We have been positioned by God. Jesus was positioned by God, placed in this world at the perfect time in order to save us from our sins. And he brought change to that society as they looked unto him. We're at war. It's not a war with flesh and blood. It's a war against evil. And that war takes place in the world. So this is a new beginning for us. It's a new chapter in our history. We are the army of God. The gates of hell won't prevail against what God is calling us to do. I hope you agree with that and will follow the Lord's calling. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the way, a light on our pathway. Thank you, Lord, for positioning Community Church in these three communities to be able to reach and touch and love and care for the lost as they become followers of you. Lord, strengthen our body, forgive our sins, cleanse us, and help us to be your army in whatever area you call us. Give us the strength to do it, and we will rejoice and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.